As a local community bank, we understand the needs of small businesses like schools, churches, and nonprofit organizations. That's why so many of them choose Arundel Federal as their Maryland bank of choice. A local bank with roots in the neighborhood that doesn't require appointments to be seen. Doing good for the businesses and people in our communities is how we've been doing business since 1906. Visit us at ArundelFederal.com. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. What if when you heard it's time to sell your car, you heard something happier like flowers, puppies, sunshine, pie? At Echo Park Automotive, we've made it easy to sell your car, so it actually feels like flowers, puppies, sunshine, pie. It feels so much like flowers, puppies, sunshine, pie that you'll wonder why you didn't sell your car, I mean flowers, puppies, sunshine, pie, at Echo Park months ago. See what your car is worth in seconds at echopark.com. The best cars at the best value from the best people, all to make you happier. Echopark.com. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we, uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into Garden of Doom. This week we have our guest, Phil Brown. He is, well, he's a lot of things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you his bio, and you're going to think that you're on the wrong show. You're going to think you're in Garden Views, because the beginning part of it reads uh, a lot like one of my guests for Garden Views would be. Anyway, Philip Raymond Brown, he lives in Colorado with his wife and four children, and two good dogs, which is great. You don't want to have a bad dog. We learned in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 how that can traumatize a dog. Uh, he is a BA in History and Political Science from Lemoyne College, and a JD, like me, from Washington and Lee University School of Law. As a fine Virginia area law school. Writing fiction was Philip's lifelong dream and it became his second career. In 2017, he walked away from a successful career as a trial attorney to pursue his dream. 
when he wrote his first book, he devoted time to his family. He coached Little League and youth basketball. And uh, during that time, his wife is a doctor and she was on the front lines in the battle against COVID-19. And he was homeschooling the kids. Uh, as a trial attorney, he received numerous accolades, including being named to Best Lawyers in America. And he attained the highest ethical ability peer review rating, AV, in Martindale Hubble. And he's been listed in Super Lawyers. He's written two books, and the, the first is Strength, Harvesting Earthlings for Fun and Profit, uh, and that was released in, I'm sorry, oh yeah, yeah, that was released, what, in 2020? Well, the first is It Gives You Strength. It Gives You Strength, out of the order, right. The, the, the second is Harvesting Earthlings for Fun and Profit, which is the sequel to It Gives You Strength. Right, there you go. All right, it's a good thing that you know the order. <laughs> uh, so okay so you you can tell the the, the title books sounds a little bit like uh, uh to serve man it's a cookbook uh from the twilight zone but before we jump into that let's let's say hello philip how are you hi jeff it's nice to meet you it's nice to be on your show you as well so all right, so being a lawyer and wanting to write science fiction, that's probably not that unusual for the want. The actual doing it is is a big deal, uh, and then doing it twice becomes a big deal, a uh, bigger deal. So how do you make that transition? Well, uh, my wife and I, we, uh, we were living in Hawaii. We suddenly had all these kids, and uh, I had a busy, busy practice as a trial lawyer. Uh, people would often ask me how much time I spend on the beach, and the answer was, in order to live in Hawaii, I don't spend any time on the beach. Right. Probably, I work all the time. And uh, my wife was from Colorado, and she said, you know, if, if we lived back home uh, where uh, my mom lives, you wouldn't have to work at all. You could do whatever you wanted. And uh, that sounded very attractive to me. Um, so... We moved to a little town in Colorado, and uh, she works, as you mentioned, as a physician here, and um, I get to pursue my childhood dream of writing novels. That's great. Do, do you sing John Denver, Denver's Rocky Mountain Way every day? No, but I think I've done it once or twice since I moved here. Okay, yeah. I, th I think it's the law. You have to. So so you picked an interesting time frame. I mean, you, your book is sort of a combination of historical fiction um, and science fiction. Um, oh, almost like that, you know, the Star Trek episode when they go back to the, to the, well, I think it is the Roaring Twenties. Uh, Vic Tabak was in that one. Uh, Mel from, yeah, uh, from Alice, the, the old uh, CBS sitcom. Um, but uh, basically you have a, a, your alien comes to, to the U.S., to North America, sort of around prohibition time and then the, you take us through uh the beginnings of not quite world war ii but the great depression and and getting closer to world war ii um but mostly focusing on, on prohibition times and then it's important because one of your main characters is i mean he's ravaged his body through alcohol abuse um and he's involved with the, the mob and stuff like that and he becomes a host and it sort of becomes a 
I, you know, almost like a Venom kind of situation in the, in, in the Spider-Man books where it's just like a symbiotic uh, it's a relationship, but uh, what one needs the other and the other one sort of need, need, needs the, the human needs the alien sort of to live because he's, he's, otherwise he's going to die and the alien needs the human to uh, get to his, uh, to, to meet his task. Um, but there's a whole world behind that. Um, so, why don't you give us like a, a bit of an overview as to, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the plot points, the main characters, and, and what made you think of this? All right. So my, um, it gives you strength is in essence a battle between two uh, gangsters, as you point out. One is a historically accurate um, gangster, Legs Diamond, mm-hmm. Legs Diamond, lived and died in upstate New York and was trying to take over the uh, smuggling route from Canada down to New York City. If he had stayed in New York City, there's no doubt the uh, much more powerful gangsters had already given the approval to have him killed. So he moved to upstate New York and tried to take the smuggling routes from the upstate New York uh, bootleggers. My um, good-hearted uh, heroic gangster mobster was my Mike Kelly character. Now that character was modeled loosely after my grandfather who was a uh, gangster uh, bootlegger in upstate New York. Um, nowhere near as successful as the Mike Kelly character I create mm-hmm. but um, there definitely is the battle between good and evil as is as is uh, uh, represented in every um, good novel, and uh, uh, in almost every novel, you need the storyteller or the observer to uh, notice the, all of the absurd things going on. And that's it. Took me the longest time to decide who my absurd observer was going to be, and I decided to use the alien from a far more advanced race um and uh it all fell together in in this novel that was released in 2020 it gives you strength were you trying to write a historical fiction novel with an an observer to note the absurdity or or were you trying to write a science fiction novel or did it did your muse sort of take over uh, and it just turned into what it turned into the first draft was a historical fiction uh, novel, and um, it was it didn't turn out as lighthearted as I hoped. It was more uh, depressing. Oh. And um, my wife read it and said, "Really, you want to make it? You, you want this to be that sad?" And I took that as, "No, I don't want it to be that sad. Sit down and and try again." And I invented the whole alien race and and the battle between the good and evil. Um, And I retained much of of the ideas from the first draft. I just made it, I think, more entertaining. Yeah, it it almost has the flavor of... of British science fiction in that, in that where you have sort of the, the visitor and, you know, they've got their own problems in their own world, but they're sort of sucked into another world of 
its own problems and its own world, which I mean, really is the telltale. I mean, Elmore Leonard probably, you know, did, made that famous in, in American literature. Um, but the, the main character being as flawed as he is and, and his health being so poor and then almost getting like these superpowers basically through, through the symbiotic relationship. Um, it reminded me a bit of a series of books I read when I was a kid. I think the author was Stephen Donaldson and they were called the Chronicles of Thomas Covenant. Um, and I was wondering if you read those. I'm not familiar with those books, but uh, they sound interesting. My recollection says they were. Whether or not they hold up as an adult, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but Thomas Covenant was in our world. He was horrible. He, he was a leper and he was very angry about it. I think he might have been a murderer or a rapist or something like that. I mean, he, he was terrible and he was, uh, you know, because he was a leper, he was missing like some of his fingers. But somehow he got transported to this other world where, I mean, he was almost like the, their prophecy. And he was like... Uh, uh, you know, wizard. It was almost like the greatest American hero. He didn't quite know how to use the powers, and uh, but without the comedy. Um, but you know, he he was the reluctant hero, and and in the other world, he was, you know, terrible, shunned, and all that. But but you know, when he got transported to the fantasy world, which you know, who knows what was fantasy and what was real. But in the other world, he you know he was heroic. But I think it was supposed to be real um, because. In no way, shape, or form was he heroic. I mean, he wasn't a sympathetic character at all. But in this other place, he was heroic. And it, it I, I don't know. I was, um, uh, I guess, uh, I'm a little surprised you hadn't read it because there, there, there was so much in there. But I guess the, the, the symbiote and the clash of cultures within one vessel is, is, is probably not exactly original to Stephen Donaldson in, you know, probably the '80s or whatever. Well, one of the reviews that I was most flattered by was a website in, in England called Doctor Who Online. And they said that the um, time travel and uh, interaction with real historical figures is like something that could have come out of an episode of Doctor Who itself. And I took that as, I'm a Doctor Who fan. I was very flattered by that um, because I, um, in writing the historical fiction aspects of the novels, I'm very interested in finding episodes in history that are long forgotten or have even been covered up, and then trying to write about them and, and build them into an interesting storyline. And, and for in, it gives you strength. The Craig Colony was very important to me. Um, in that I was researching uh, the historical fiction of the night, or the history of the 1920s. And, you know, you mentioned I went to Lemoyne College. Well, um, Lemoyne College is about 60 miles from where the Craig Colony existed. And I had never heard of it until I'm doing research here in Colorado. And suddenly I'm reading story after story about or um, about this colony where people with seizure disorders were basically sent to live their lives in New York State from 1904 to 1968. Wow. Who's ever heard? I mean, 
Um, we would never think that could happen in America. But that was, I'm, I'm sure by the late 30s, they realized this is not a good idea for <laughs> us to be shipping people with simple seizure disorders and putting them in um, a prison camp, right. in essence, um, which they called the Craig Colony. And, um, and uh, they had no idea how to actually treat people with seizure disorders. They uh, had the, um, what they did is they decided that if they worked them really hard and got the people with seizure disorders tired enough, when they did have a seizure, they wouldn't have a lot of strength to hurt themselves. And, and that basically, so they had them do things like making bricks, doing carpentry. And they were very proud one year that they produced over 1 million bricks. But um, the reality is now seizures are controlled largely through medication. Right. And no one had to be sent to a prison camp. Sure. This, this, this did not just go on in New York State, went on in Ohio, in Texas. One young woman in 1926 was sterilized because she had seizures. And um, the United States Supreme Court said, that's fine. Um, this is like one of the great travesties, um, the great injustices of American history that's been swept under the uh, rug. Um, and so I made it a very important, I think, plot um, point of my novel. And um, there's other historical uh, nuggets in my book that I try to build in, like the New York Naval Militia was another, which actually still exists today. Oh, really? And I don't know if, I don't know if you've read it, but I did a whole chapter on the New York Naval Militia. Um, you know, like most states have a National Guard, right? Mm -hmm. Well, New York decided well, what if the Navy ever needs more sailors? Let's have the New York Naval Militia. And we will train sailors to fill in just in, just, uh, in case the U.S. Navy ever needs more sailors. And they would have... Lately, there seems to be a new economic crisis or a bank going under in the news. And the one thing everyone could use is peace of mind that their money is safe and secure. Arundel Federal is FDIC insured, which means deposit accounts are protected for $250,000 per person for each account ownership category. Since 1906, through transparency and conservative banking practices, Arundel Federal has been a safe and strong institution you can trust. Get to know us at arundelfederal.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. Uh, ships on Lake Champlain and off of Long Island, and they'd be training in smaller boats because obviously the state of New York didn't have 
uh, naval vessels. And millions and millions and millions of dollars went to the New York Naval Militia. Now, in my um, novel, to point out how absurd that program was, Mike Kelly, the good bootlegger, who's also a Medal of Honor winner, um, gets himself appointed to be the head of the New York Naval Militia on Lake Champlain, and then he uses sure. his naval boat to travel from Canada, fill it with liquor, and travel it back down to New York. But even today, the New York Naval you could Google it, the New York Naval Militia still exists, and they justify it by saying it helps guard our borders between the United States and Canada on Lake Champlain. So, you know, again, that was something that my uh, my alien character was interested and surprised by. Well, they, they never forgot the French and Indian War, so you know, <laughs> we're ready for we're that, ready for the next. That's one. right. Come come on, Hurons, we, we, we've got you. Um, yeah, then we have a Air National Guard here in Maryland, and I, I've heard of other Air National Guards, but I've never heard of a state uh, naval militia before. Um, oh, interesting concept. Uh, it's sort of fun. You also had a heavyweight champion, Jack Dempsey, in your book. Yeah, um, uh, I. Uh, uh, he, he makes it. He makes it into the second book too, and actually travels on a mission to the alien's planet. And uh, I, in the third book, I'm going to let go of Jack Dempsey as a character. Oh, um, yeah. Spoiler. Uh, uh, Mike Kelly's going to make it into the third book, but the, but uh, Jack Dempsey um, has um, is retired. Okay. He's retired. We don't know how. We don't know how. It's not a complete spoiler. Um, <laughs> all right. So, the, 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 I mean, obviously the title of the book sort of uh, has a little Anunnaki connotation to it. So uh, were you like a fan of uh, Sitchin and the whole Anunnaki Chronicles? Well, I, I don't know what that is. But I'll, <laughs> tell you what, I'll tell you what it gives you strength relates to. Okay. Um, the Guinness Brewing Company... You may be, you may know this, but the Guinness Brewing Company for over for hundreds of years pushed the phrase Guinness. It gives you strength. Okay. And at the very the first time um, I introduced many of the recurring characters who end up being bootleggers. It's Memorial Day, and in this little town that is the primary location of the story, they have a boxing tournament and. Um, the town drunk hands a Guinness to one of um, to to the alien who's now uh, in the body of the human. As you point out, he's probably got extra special strengths. Use you know. um, and the town drunk uh, hands it to the alien and says, "It's a Guinness. It gives you strength." And everybody cheers. And then um, uh, I try to. Uh, stress the strength others are given. There's a priest in the town who draws his strength from religion. Um, the alien, of course, draws his strength from technology. And uh, uh, Legs Diamond draws his strength from violence. And I, I, that's a recurring theme through the book. But it starts with the town drunk, the G-Man, handing the beer to... Um, uh, the uh, alien character and saying, uh, it's a Guinness, it gives you strength. 
Well, I, I can personally attest that alcohol, maybe it feels like it gives you strength, but you're usually wrong. <laughs> but, but, um, so, all right. So why did the aliens need, or why did the alien need Mike Kelly? Well, aliens, plural, but why did they need Mike Kelly? Why him in particular? All right. Well, that's an important part of the novel, the search for um, the Craig Colony. And um, Mike Kelly actually has the answer of where the Craig Colony is. The aliens observe the Craig Colony from their planet. And although the humans have stuck all these people with seizure disorders into this, this you know, uh, Craig Colony that was once a religious facility uh, where the Shakers lived, but now it is owned by New York State and, the, and all of the... the Poor people, mostly poor people, who have seizures are now living there. Um, the aliens, um, and in, in the book they're called Deganians. Okay. Um, and yeah, the, the Deganians have lost their royal family, and they, at the very beginning of it gives you strength. The royal family's um, spacecraft is blown up, and the crown princess gets sent off um, and they don't know what happened to her. They then learn that she's likely held in a prison camp called the Craig Colony. Okay. So the alien is sent to Earth on a mission to free her from the Craig Colony. But when he gets to Earth, he he learns there's no prison camps in America. And not, not even the revenue, the FBI, the, uh, uh, who then were called revenuers, the IRS agents who are, you know, um, they don't even know what the Craig Colony is, but everyone is assuring him there's no prison camps in America. Right. And, uh, but Mike Kelly is the, is the clue, the key. Um, he knows where the Craig Colony is. And, uh, I won't tell you the rest of the story because that would ruin the big twist in the book. But well, say, um, yes. yeah, Mike Kelly is the key. So I, I'm I'm guessing that that some of the alien characteristics maybe simulate uh, some seizures or or whatnot, uh, and you know that that's why she, whatever her she probably had no ailments, but they look like ailments to us mere humans here. Um, well, I can tell you. What it is is um, the the um, when the in order to preserve the alien psyche or the soul, it's trans. The the alien body is lost, but the body, um, the soul is transferred into the human body using a the uh, transference protocol. In the early stages of the transference protocol, it had a design defect which they learn causes seizures in certain races or certain um, species, excuse me, I shouldn't, it's not races, certain species. And in humans, it does cause um, seizures. So in the next uh, version of the, of the transference protocol, they put a warning in, in the instructions 
um, that it could cause seizures. It's a little bit like a Balsar Galactica when the Cylons go through the resurrection. They, they sort of come out in that primordial soup bath, a little bit confused, and have to sort of regain themselves. Yes, but I... I um... You didn't watch that either. <laughs> no, I love Battlestar Galactica. Okay, good. I never thought of it that way. My, my uh, aliens um, seem to uh, arrive when a priest is giving a human last rites, and um, everyone thinks the human is on the brink of death, and suddenly the human sits up and starts talking. Oh, it's like a Lazarus thing. Yeah, exactly. Lazarus, I mentioned that in the book. Not since Lazarus has someone uh, uh, rose risen from the dead so quickly. Yeah, I was thinking like sort of like uh, exorcist kind of uh, you know epileptic seizures. You know, often were thought of as possessions. That that that, that might be the same thing, and it sounds it's a little similar to that. There was something else I was thinking about where they were used by oh the altered carbon books um, where bodies were sleeves. Uh, you know, but the consciousness. Were- yeah, no, the, they were terrific books. The and the, the idea that, that that rich people could live forever mm-hmm. because their sleep would just be changed. Right, that, that, and we're almost there. Yes. It's just a question whether the AI kills us before we can uh, sort of li- live with them uh, forever, or whether they tolerate that. I'm I'm very afraid of AI. So uh, I, I, yeah, but but here, let me ask you this question. Sure. This is one I've been pondering recently. I am, and I am not a, a big fan of of either political party currently running our country. I'm not a fan. I don't, I think our country is our government should just be providing services and the person providing services should be treating us almost like a business providing services. And, um, so we all think of the evil, uh, possible AI that could destroy us. But given how bad our current services are being provided by the human leaders that we have or human overlords that we have, is it possible that the AI could be better at providing services? It is possible. Sure, it's possible. Uh, certainly more efficient, but well, you know what, what? What? What happens when it's more efficient? I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, how many times have we learned that? The Terminator and Ultron, and you know, so I, I mean, they, 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 you know, I mean, the, as as heartless as governments may seem, they they do in fact at least have a heart. <laughs> in, in harvesting Earthlings, um, the AI is one of the most important characters. Um, I mean, one good AI is is a very important uh, protector of Earthlings. So, and it's not it's the Deganians who are harvesting the Earthlings, and then they are ultimately protected by the AI. Well, what are they harvesting the Earthlings for? Oh, to be um, to be uh, gladiators in a in an intergalactic coliseum that the, the new dictator on Dagon, the, the alien's planet, has created. Gotcha. And although although the Earthlings, I mean, the Deganians who are sent to Earth are told, oh yeah, the Earthlings will have a chance, they're going to be warriors. And that's how Dempsey gets involved in the second book, 
is the Deganians just look up in the newspapers and decide who the best fighters are. Those are the ones they should get as gladiators. And Dempsey is the former heavyweight champion at that point, and he's he's on the five bonus list where the leaders have said, harvest as many earthlings as you can, but these are the five we really want. And Dempsey's on that list. How does he fare? Oh, he ends up going to Dagon and, uh, and, uh, but, but as a, as a, uh, he does okay. He does okay. <laughs> well, we know he makes it to, into the second book. He could over make time. it to the third book, but I don't think he's going to. Okay. Yeah, listen, you, you never know. He's allowed to retire. He's allowed to retire. That's fine. But uh, you know, a, a human boxer does. Uh, well, I guess it's humans against humans, right? If they're harvesting them for the Colosseum, it's not like humans against the Ganians. No, that's, no that they. Um, what what it is is um, uh, because they have the transference protocol. You will never die. Um, but your body will be, and then they'll just transfer your life essence into another alien or into a Deganian or, or into whatever. And so you go on forever and ever fighting in this Coliseum, okay. which is worse than death. Yeah, it sounds pretty bad. Um, going back to the the... the destruction of the royal family it was sort of interesting how you, you set that up in that we are introduced to a character that's a she um don't know exactly what she's doing i mean me being sort of an mcu guy of course i'm picturing sort of like a captain marvel or uh, you know or yes some, something like that and it it, it yeah, you know, then we learn that that she's been there for hundreds of years. Who knows how much longer before that hundreds of years started? But basically, she was like a smart bomb, uh, like it, it basically waiting. Uh, either just they dispatch smart bombs throughout the the star systems, or specifically because they knew that this was a route, and she was waiting there for centuries uh, for 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 the her target to get there. Once the target came, um, she got them, and you know. I just thought that whole segment was interesting that, A, we, we got a character, they had personality, they had gender, and then, you know, basically they were just there to boot, go boom. Um, what, what was sort of at the, the heart of that thought process? Um, I uh, had written much of the novel with, I was, I was going to uh, surprise everyone at the end of the book how, why the alien was there. I had grand designs of how the, this story, this this uh, uh, explosion with the lady um, was going to take place. And um, there were going to be clues to it up through the whole novel. And my editor said to me, Phil, this is the inciting incident of the whole book. It's got to be in chapter one. Right. And uh, <laughs> he was so right. And and when I moved it to chapter one, um, the whole book came together. I was like, um, I I was like uh, doing you know literary cartwheels, trying to make my idea of the surprise near the end of the book work. And he just read the thing and said, "Make it chapter one." Right. Oh. That's a good idea. I'll make it <laughs> chapter one. And uh, that was kind of, I mean, 
at that point that I, I wrote this, I um, had the whole concept that the aliens looking down at you know these aliens who were far more powerful than us and far more intelligent than us are searching this galaxies for any remnant of their royal family and they um, uh, see the Craig colony from and and they and they realize that the princess might be there and that I was going to start with that but then I realized or then my editor uh, um, who's also named Jeff um, uh, he said no you've got to show the reader what happened first and then go on with your story yeah I mean the enemies they, they had been plotting something for at least centuries now uh, is time the same for the Deganians as it is for us? Is there hundreds of years? Does it feel the same as it does for us? Um, no. And um, and uh, they... I don't want to spoil the, term, the surprises in the second book, mm-hmm. but let me say this. Lady Melanie, that's the smart bomb, Lady Melanie reappears for, at great length in the second book. You not only see Lady Melanie again, but you realize you learn that there are still tens of thousands of Lady Melanie's kind, who she refers to as her brothers and sisters, and they're an important part of the second book. And um, much of the second book is about their redemption. Yeah, what's turning them? Redemption is an important part. Redemption is an important theme for me, and. Uh, and I think they get their redemption in the second book. Sure, it's like pro wrestling. We got to turn the heels into faces, and they're, they're, they're going to be they're going to become like the riders of Rohan or something. I, I, there I, you go. I can feel that's good, excellent. They're they're AI with AI with hearts of gold. So yeah, so you're an AI, you're a technology optimist, aren't you? Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. Meet Nate. By day, he works in IT, but when he gets on the bike, he becomes Nature Nate. An outdoorsy type with his head in the clouds and a weak supply of trail mix in his cargo pants. Nature Nate leaves no trace, except for native wildflowers. If a tree falls in the forest, he'll help it get back up. And Nature Nate rides with Geico, because getting specialty coverage for his motorcycle is the natural choice. Geico Motorcycle, expert coverage for both your sides. Um, I'm an optimist in everything. Yeah, that's nice. That's yeah, a great thing. I, what, what are you doing? A Garden I, of Doom? <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I wanted to tell you that when I came on right away. That, you know, um, and that's one of the things that one of the real problems I have right now with our with our government is so much of both both political parties is about give us money, vote for us, or. 20, 30 years from now, the world could come to an end. And it's like, wait a minute, this, you know, our species has been around for a million years and 
the world's going to come to end in the next 20 years. And it's kind of narcissistic, isn't it? Yep. You know, I mean, this species has adapted for, for, uh, you know, millennia after millennia. And we're suddenly going to fall apart because I didn't send you money. I don't think so. Right. I tried to stay away from politics on this show, but I'm going to give this one idea because it sort of feeds off something you just said. And I really think it's actually non-controversial. I think it's completely nonpartisan. And depending on whatever, you know, some people think that restacking the Supreme Court is the most important thing or, or having term limits is the most important thing or gun control is the most important thing or abortion is the most important thing on either side of it or what, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, immigration, whatever, whatever people think is the most important of their top seven issues. When you actually poll the American people, there tends to be somewhere between two thirds to 80% agreement on some big principles, and they almost never seem to make it into legislation. And I think the, the thing is money. That is, that is the problem. And that's sort of what you said. And I think, yes. and I think that there's an easy fix that now by easy, I mean, simple, I don't mean it'll be easy to do. It's hard to do, but all of these other things that I mentioned, and probably a thousand other things that people could mention are just as hard to do. So if you could do the fix this one thing, I think we'd actually get closer to a truly representative government. And that is make all national elections, publicly financed, no exceptions, no loopholes, no dark money, no nothing. People who break it go to jail, even if we think our, our prisons are overpop, you know, overpopulated, long terms, and the end. All publicly financing. If you think the problem is a two-party system and, you know, all of a sudden the two parties, they don't have control over anything because they don't have they don't they don't have control over the money. Everybody gets, you know, they they have to be some you know, you have to get some number of signatures on a petition or some sort of way to establish, you know, that me, I can't get on the ballot, you know, unless, you know, whatever, 5,500 people, you know, want me to be on the ballot for, you know, I don't know, congressman or senator or, or you know, president, maybe you need a thousand people in each state, something, whatever it is, some objective standard to get there. Uh, but, but even then you would get some sort of national stipend you can do that you can and, and that's it can't even use your own money uh end of story and i think once you take money out of the equation it, it, a lot of other things will get fixed by that because you would actually get a representative government people actually have to be responsive to, to to the majority of the voters in their districts which i think most of us are more similar than we are apart and where we're different Agreed. i think that we could mostly say I could live with that, you know. I, I think most people are like, yeah, I, I'm really against X, but I, I can live with X minus B. You know, it's 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 you know, it, it'll be fine. So that we go to, go along as a country. Anyway, that that's the end of my little political spiel on that. And no, I, I think that most everyone would agree with you. And again, I, you know, as I say, I'm like an eternal optimist, Good. and uh, and uh, I, I sometimes wonder. You know, just as um, uh, uh, some people are clinically depressed and and they just are depressed and they need medication um, so that it controls their depression, I wonder if others are born optimistic because I um, have just been so lucky my whole life. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. There's there's nature so, and nurture. It's not that the you know some some people are just born 
happy and stay that way. And then that, that, that's great. I'm, I'm jealous of those people. Actually, I'm, I'm actually a, a closet happy person because I, I, I just like to be dour. It's just, it's, it, <laughs> it, it, it's my shtick. Uh, you know, Eddie, anyway. Well, and, and my books, you know, you said, why, 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 what am I doing on the garden of you? Um, there's, there's some apocalyptic, uh, not, the first one deals with the, it gives you strength deals with prohibition. But definitely in Harvesting Earthlings for Fun and Profit, uh, the end of Earth is a possibility. Yeah. So Now we're talking. Yeah. Attaboy. Yeah. Get with the program. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. an old-fashioned uh, 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 space alien, you know, uh, spaceship outside of the uh, Capitol building and Mike Kelly running at him with a machine gun shooting at them. And, you know, just almost like War of the Worlds. Right. Instead of running from the aliens, he's running at them. And, you know, it's... Uh, right, Sergeant Nick stuff. Fury, the, the, but the like the original 1950s version. Exactly, exactly. I forgot the DC version. It was Sergeant something. Anyway, it's not important. Uh, yeah, I think everyone can, can, in their own mind can picture exactly the scene from some pulp comic book that that's either real or that they've seen in a, in a, you know a movie or tv show depicted as such so who are some of, who are some of your literary influences because somewhere someplace somebody and maybe it's not just literary who who are your influences like what do you think seeped into this book well okay the the the, the biggest um one from historical fiction would be gore vidal mm-hmm. um gore vidal's book burr had a huge effect on me. I think I've read it three times. But then he writes a series of novels about American history. And um, and he, he follows it all the way up through Hollywood. So that's what I've, I'm trying to do with where it gives you strength, deals with the Prohibition era. Um, Harvesting Earthlings deals with the Great Depression and that era. And the next book, unnamed, um, but I'm well into it, is going to is deals with World War II era America, and then I will decide whether I'm going to put this series to rest or, it, you know, I, all along I've planned to do three books, and uh, in this series, and then move on to something else. So yeah, we'll see. I've enjoyed these, um, but so Gorbadal, um, John Irving. Um, as far as just writing uh, novels and the structure of novels and and uh, the way um, introducing char- rich characters and uh, foreshadowing events and just uh, writing absurdities that then somehow all get pulled together at the end, that's the map that I try to follow when I write. Um, he, um, I've you know, and I, you know, how does, how do you go from Garp and Hotel New Hampshire uh, and Cider House Rules to, you know, uh, historical fiction and science fiction? Mm-hmm. Um, they, they aren't the same, but um, the structure of my chapters and what the way I write and try to write is definitely um, a homage to John Irving. I love um, well, he's still not living, but um, he, he just wrote his final book, I believe. And uh, um, but I've loved all of his books, and they've been a big part of my life. Um, 
those would be the two major writers that I say that I think have influenced me in my life. Um, a lot of, you know, pop culture. I mean, you've mentioned so many of it in our interview. You know, Star Trek and mm-hmm. Star Galactica and Marvel. Yeah. Well, someone described your book as sort of uh, between Boardwalk Empire and Starman. Yeah, Starman is one of my favorite all-time movies. Um, Starman, Jeff Bridges' performance in Starman is amazing. Yeah, and uh, and Boardwalk Empire, I uh, I don't think I watched. Um, I watched about half of it. Um, I've never watched the whole thing, but I, I was complimented by that. I, I know that it was a great. It was considered great television. I've just never seen all of it. Yeah, it's a solid show. I think it's worth it if you ever have the time, but it sounds like you're probably pretty busy. If you ever get writer's block, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's not the worst use of time. I saw on list Children of Time, and I'm gesturing to my right because Children of Time is sitting there, right right on my bookshelf, right below, to, you know, to my right and down. And to my great embarrassment, I have not read it yet. And it's been sitting there for like 20 years. It's like, I always want to read it and reading gets harder and harder to do. And then of course I've got, you know, guests and I have to read the books and, and which is not always a chore. It's just, it's a lot. There's time, you know, I'm, I'm not the fastest sure. reader in the world. Um, but yeah, but you did, you mentioned that book. So, you know, children of time, I mean, not that the title tells you the name, but it sort of seems like maybe it might've had some influence. Children of time. Well, children of time, is a modern i mean i think in the last four years or five years that came out mm-hmm. and um i think i'm older than the writer um i'm not going to remember the author's name it's tchaikovsky yeah it's a long name as it is i didn't know it was that recent i know it's been saying on my shelves for about four uh, no it's well, he's, it's more than four now, years he's now published two sequels and um and uh uh, I um, listened to the uh, sequel on audiobook, and I have not listened to the third one yet, but I understand that the third one's excellent as well. Um, and uh, uh, he, it's, it's, it's really incredible. 2015. Yeah, I, I knew it was it wasn't that that reason, but uh, it's not as old as I. It's been it's been sitting there not a decade, but I, I bought it when it first came out to it's a, paperback. It's a long book, but it's the kind of thing, I, you know. I'm glad I listen, I listened to the series on, on audiobook. Um, the the narrator on the audiobooks is phenomenal. It's very very complicated. You know, basically it's about a. Um, uh, the end of the human race and uh, uh, our remaining DNA um, is spread out through the galaxies and some gets mixed with spiders. Oh, okay. And, and you'd think, what? That's not going to be interesting. Oh my God, it's amazing. And that's, um, it's, and it's trying to write science fiction after, after that. Um, it's a little humbling. Because Tchaikovsky does such a good job. He's um, a wonderful writer. Yeah, I, I'm. Yeah, like I said, it's 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 to my shame that I haven't read it. It's it's so shameful that I've, I've made it seem longer than it was. But I so like. <laughs> But I'm not afraid of a long book. I'm not afraid of a thick, a heavy book either. I mean, I've read most of Neil Stevenson's books. I've read a bunch of William Gibson books. I I understood some of them more the 
more the sort of the thriller spy science fiction than the true like like neuromancer. I I, I had a lot of trouble with that one. I I mean, I, yeah. I just read Neuromancer and it was the first. I had no idea um, William Gibson was this uh, literary giant. Yeah, and I just I just uh, picked that book up and read it, and I, oh my god, yeah. this guy is. Um, it, what's so what's so interesting about his writing is how um, vivid he describes everything, mm -hmm. or vividly he describes everything, um, and. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that book. Yeah, and they're, they're not even that long. They're just thick. They're heavy. I mean, it, there are certain books, there are beach books, and then there are books where you have to pay attention to every single word. And Will, William Gibson is every single word. But uh, Spook Country was brilliant. The the sequel left that zero history. They're very good as well. Uh, I've got the peripheral sitting here, uh, and that's another one that uh, I haven't gotten around to reading. But uh, proudly, I have read the, the Neil Stevenson uh, books Reem D, The Fall, uh, Snow Crash, uh, the, the uh, Cryptonomicon, and and the whole, the whole Quicksilver trilogy, which I mean, just uh, just great stuff. And the uh, guy Gabriel K. But we're not here to talk about what I've read. We're here to talk about what's influenced you. I'm like I lost myself here. Um, well, the, the Peripheral is a really great series on Amazon. Right. And they've completed one season. I really enjoyed it. But anyways, yes. Yeah. Well, a friend of mine is one of the producers on that show. He's he's actually been on Garden of Doom a, a couple times. He's uh, and uh, yeah, he's was one of the, now he's one of the money producers. Like he's there to make sure that the business side of it stays on track. He's not involved in creative stuff, but he's been involved in a lot of stuff. So hi, Mark. Awesome. Hopefully, he's listening. Um, but yeah, uh, did, do you, are you familiar with Avi Loeb and his theory of Uma Uma? It was the. Yeah, it was. I may, if you explain it to me, I, I'm familiar with the name. I don't know. Okay, so he's a professor, and he's a he's a professor from Harvard. Uh, you know, and he was in charge of the astrophysics department. Yeah, he's a big deal. I mean, and there's there was uh, an object called Uma Uma, which is is the name from the observatory in Hawaii found it and, and ironically it means scout and it's not from our star system it was one of the oh, first that flew by the United States, flew by the, the planet yeah and and it yes. you know and it it doesn't match the flight patterns of anything else we've seen before based on you know shape and and someone drew like the rendering like it was a cigar but that's not really what it looks like at all it was almost like a thin sail and well Avi Lowe basically uh posited that he thought it might be you know sort of dead alien technology that's been exploring there but it might have been like a solar cell uh but you know based on the lack of emissions you know I guess when what happens is Comets, when when they heat up and cool down, they emit gas, and that's how they sort of move, and why it's so predictable, and you can measure them. Uh, but this one, it didn't emit, and as it got closer to the sun, it changed directions, which uh, and not towards the sun. And the, he explains why this is not, you know, what is your typical natural phenomenon, and why this might be, you know, ancient technology that 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 may or may not have been dead, but, you know, some of it still works as it was designed to sort of slingshot it or whatever. Anyway, uh, you know, he and now he starts to start something called the Galileo Project, which he's looking for more extra 
stellar, uh, yeah, interstellar I, uh, objects, co you know, come in and, you know, they always say, you know, that just because this is the first one we've seen, there's probably been, you know, billions more. We just, you know, you're, you're literally looking for, to, you're not looking for a needle in a haystack. You're looking for a needle in, in like the Pacific Ocean of, of, of haystacks um, for the Pacific Ocean period. But um, yeah, that, that, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in science and like when you were talking about the the, the soul of your AIs of the of, uh, Lady Melanie or Lady Melody, um, yeah, they're there's they're tracking electronic, you know, uh, emissions from human brains uh, while we're awake, while we're asleep. There's been communication with people who are asleep in their dreams and you know, answering questions, and after death, and you know, as I've said before in the show. It, if if that's not one if one interpretation of that is not a soul you know what is without being religious it's it i mean what what is it and that then yeah and people have always said you know we are stardust you know and then you know uh, as above so below it's it's like and all these things is like make sense now like boom you know and, you know the philosophers ten thousand years ago knew this you know and and uh you know, I'm just figuring out now. And yeah, I, I, I think I'm a fairly bright guy, and maybe some of that is what inspired you to to write as well. Well, at, at the end of it gives you strength. Um, I uh, write what I envisioned was the death of Legs Diamond. There's no doubt um, he was shot by someone, either the gangland gangland figures or. Uh, family members of some people that he brutalized, or uh, Albany police. No one really knows. It's never solved. Everyone knows the bed that he died in. So I do a fictional conversation between my alien and Legs Diamond, while Legs Diamond is pleading to, for the alien to help him, and the alien says, I'm just here as an observer. And Diamond says, what should I do? So, and Diamond goes, well, who's holding me down? He goes, the alien says, I, I don't know, but they don't look like they um, are going to help you. And Diamond says, what shall I do? And the alien says, if I were you, I'd pray. <laughs> um, and, uh, um, and then it, the crime or execution proceeds. But um, I tried to in both books uh, uh, keep uh, religion alive um, I don't know how that will end in the third book or how it will proceed in the third book but I um, I have you know you say there could be a, there um, something like a soul even with it, even without thinking of religion um, I am a religious person I'm not a religious nut, as we, as people uh, um, are referred to these days in our society. But I was, you know, I did go to a religious uh, undergraduate school, and uh, and I don't think that science and religion are mutually exclusive. Yeah, that's sort of what this show has taught me. Uh, you know, some of it's very different, but not all of it. Um, I want to know. Uh, this this is like changing 
in a, in a very different direction. But how do you go from being a lawyer to deciding to become an author? And how do you go about, like, how do you find a publisher and an editor? Like, what was that process? Well, um, so uh, you're, you're, you're an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know how physically and mentally challenging it is. And I don't know, what kind of attorney are you? One, one that can barely put sentences together, obviously, as you can tell no, from, from the show. By that, I mean, a litigator <laughs> or wills and estates and I mean, probably like you, uh, over 30 years, I've, I've done most everything, but it's it's been a good decade or so since I've done any sort of litigation. I, I mostly work with small businesses, uh, tax-exempt organizations, some some estate work, and some IP as well, trademarked copyrights. Okay. Yeah. Well, I um, uh, did almost exclusively litigation, civil litigation in Honolulu. And um, Hawaii is a very, very friendly place. But civil litigation, um, my uh, former office manager who now does criminal, um, since I've um, closed my office, he uh, works with a criminal law firm. He actually tells me that uh, his observation is that civil litigation, the way it was practiced with us, is far more brutal than criminal litigation. I agree 100%. And... I um, was just burnt out, and so when my wife and I uh, talked about the possibility of, of moving uh, to Colorado, I was all in, and um, I have not practiced since we moved to Colorado. And uh, you know, as far as um, uh, finding um, an editor and uh, um, a publishing company. Um, I um, uh, hired freelance editors myself, um, and the publishing company of It Gives You Strength was a little tiny company in Vermont named um, Canoe Tree Press. Okay. And um, they did a very good job. Um, But the second book, I published myself, and um, I I thought I could do it um, as well as Kim Tree Press, and uh, um, I think in retrospect I would have used Kim Tree Press. Um, the way um, it just was a lot of work that I would rather have spent writing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there's in the publishing business now there are two um at least two different um ways you can go one is the traditional publishing contract where you get a small advance and then um you get a a small amount of the monies that you receive off of the sale of books um and then in, I understand that in certain of the contracts, if you don't sell enough books so that the uh, publishing company recovers the advance, they can claw back the part of the advance that wasn't. Um, but um, there's also self-publishing, mm-hmm. which has exploded. You put, the, you put up the costs yourself, but you retain the intellectual property. Um, you retain all of the 
money from the sales of the books, but you have to do all the publicity, publicity yourself. Now, I've heard it said that uh, even when you do uh, traditional publishing, you have to do most of the publicity yourself, so it's not that big a difference. Now, I um, uh, put It Gives You Strength up during COVID when most of the publishing companies were shut down. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't really an option to go with a traditional publishing company. Um, and uh, I'm not opposed to using a traditional company, publishing company. I've enjoyed self-publishing. My law practice was a tiny little, I, I called it a David versus Goliath practice because we went up against the biggest firms in Honolulu. So I'm used to um, being completely in control of my work product, getting things done quickly, and um, I like self-publishing. Um, I've just got to get better at it. No, practice, right? You just, just keep writing. Yeah. Um, exactly. The cover art on, on the books is sensational. Uh, how, who did that and how did you find it? All right. Um, there's a, his name is, I want, I want, I'm going to open the book and, and read it because I want to make sure I. I mean, a lot of books just sell because of the packaging. Yeah. Well, this one um, is, is really nice. Um, I, I was so proud when uh, I should have had his name. It's Ricardo uh, Montano Castro is an artist from um, Colombia. And um, I, um, he and I met on a website, um, um, and I'm, I'm not going to remember the name. It was like 360 Designs, where basically it was a um, website where you put your um, intellectual idea, be it, you know, a business card or a book or whatever. And, uh, and, uh, artists from around the world compete to propose what your book cover would look like. And I got hundreds of entries. Um, and one looked like a, a, a bottle, um, which I loved, <laughs> but it, you know, it just, wasn't going to be uh, feasible that somebody's going to purchase a bottle and then turn the pages shaped like a bottle. Right, that's but difficult. Um, I love the idea. Um, but the, my favorite one was the one that Ricardo did and it gives you strength. And then I contacted him and uh, had him do one for harvesting earthlings, which I also love. Now what you see in the covers it is my vision of what the cover should look like. And then Ricardo, you know, filled it in with, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Um, and uh, this the spaceship that's in both book covers um, was was specially Ricardo specially designed for these books. Um, obviously, in the second book, we've got the Capitol building and the American flag because of the fight between Mike Kelly and the aliens that takes place um, by the um, Capitol building. What influenced your idea of what the ship should look like? I didn't have nothing. Um, 
Ricardo um, sent me one drawing. I showed it to um, some potential publishers. One of them said it looks too much like another cover that he'd seen before. So I sent it back to Ricardo and said, um, can you make it look less like this? And he sent this one back and I um, liked it better anyways. So we went with this one. Okay. I am sure that there's something that I should have asked you that was pivotal to the story, your story to about the books. Uh, fill in whatever question I should have asked with the proper answer. Um, I have a website. It's um, philipraymondbrown.com and you can buy my books right off the website or you can buy them off of Amazon or you can buy them off of Apple. And uh, uh, there are audiobooks for both uh, my novels available from Audible, available from Amazon. Um, you can buy It Gives You Strength on audiobook off of my um, website. I do not have Harvesting Earthlings on my website yet, but uh, I mean the audiobook. And uh, I'm on all social media. I'm on uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. Oh. So they're they're pretty well reviewed. I mean, I uh, you were above four stars. I saw five stars a few times. There was one person who wrote a two page review. I have to believe that they were British or at least British trained, just the way they they wrote and the words they the word choice. So if you're a British science fiction fan, and then I mentioned it sounded a little British science fiction, and then you mentioned the the Doctor Who uh, parables uh, story as well. Um, you know, I think uh, this probably is few. But you also mentioned to me uh, the the you know, you try to stick to 300 odd pages. So it's not like they're terribly long. It's, it's, this, this is, this is a, this is a doable read. Well, um, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've actually spoken to classes um, uh, about my, my formula. Um, you know, what's the key to writing a book? And it's not as hard as people think. Um, you know, you, uh, try to write 10, 10 pages a chapter and then go on to your next chapter and write 10 pages and then write 10 pages for that next chapter. And sometimes the chapters have to be six pages or five pages. But then another time, if you have a six-page chapter, try to have a 14-page chapter and average 10 pages for 30 chapters to 32 chapters, you'll get you'll get 300 to 320 words and then editing. And what is editing? You know, an editor is a nice way of saying someone who deletes words <laughs> because anyone who writes for any length of time knows that good editing means cutting words and making sentences more succinct. So your 320 page draft should be edited down to about 290 pages. Once you've taken 30 words out of your first draft, or 30 pages out of your first draft, you're going to have 290 pages. People are going to want to read that book. There you go. That's what I'm, 
that's that's what I tell them. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Good luck with selling the, the two books. Good luck with writing the third book. And uh, uh, maybe you'll come back again. I, I tell you, when I, when I read the title, I'm like, oh, I really hope this is to serve man. It's a cookbook. Uh, <laughs> 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 that, that's what that's one of my favorites. That that, that was uh, the, you know, the, the title really cinched me. And when when I got the, the list of proposed guests from from that site, which was which has been fabulous. Um, but yeah, great. I, I, I keep doing the publicity, keep doing the tour. This is probably a really easy way to do it. And it's, and it's great for content creators as well. Um, yeah. So you gave all your socials, you gave all, all the places to, to check the book out. So I, I, th- I think we've done our job. Thank you, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. I've, this has been just an enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Terrific. All right. Well, great. Keep in touch and have a great rest of your day. And for those of you out in the world, I know it's not going to drop today, but it is Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Um, the, you know, yeah, happy Mother's Day. Right. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Thank you. You too. You have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Delicious body heat. It's a warm inside of me. It's too bad you don't have more meat on your tiny body. Oh, you're dying. What do you mean? You say that I can't eat. Oh, but it's so good. It tastes so sweet. How dare you deprive me? Would you like to eat with me? A dinner as a family. We take care of each other's needs. Yeah, that's not happening. What I'll feed you your own hands and feet. Don't worry, it's my treat. Though I've had my feast, you're not released. Cause I'd like seconds, please. up your meat's impossible with sleep and i swear every time i breathe in i stare in disbelief i can't go without the feeling of your flesh upon my teeth i can't retreat no i can't even breathe without feeling hungry why do you still believe in me I'm baffled why you choose to stay with me You're completely free, yet you refuse to leave In the face of anger, you say patience before pride While you're feeling dead inside, I'm so alive And it's all thanks to you that I survived Guess I'll say 